Proverbs 17, 17. If you find that in your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. You can find Psalms usually. If you kind of open your Bible right in the middle, and Proverbs one book forward from Psalms 17, 17. I want to talk to you today about friendship and... Uh, Lisa and I are largely here with you today because of our friendship with John and Brooke. Um, so it, it fits. And I want you to know uh, how very honored I feel to stand here. I know what, it's, uh, what it means to uh, give the pulpit where you normally preach to someone else. And uh, I'm incredibly uh, honored and thankful that Pastor Josh would, uh, would do this, I'm sure entirely on on john and brooks recommendation so um but i'm grateful and honored to be uh, to be here friendship is um i think a, a modern challenge for, for many uh, a few years ago uh, in great britain they started uh, having a minister of loneliness uh that was before COVID. Uh, because they realized there was such a problem uh, in their in their country. Uh, just a few weeks ago in, in the States, the Surgeon General brought an advisory about an epidemic of loneliness in the United States. I don't know if this extends all the way here, but I suspect at some level it, it would. And so there's a great modern challenge with respect to friendship, but also uh, it's a great opportunity for God's people. Uh, if, if loneliness is an epidemic modern problem, uh, then gospel friendship in many ways might begin to meet a need that's profoundly felt but then also the Lord might use that felt need to extend beyond to a need perhaps not felt, but desperately needs to. Perhaps all of this is um, complicated, exacerbated perhaps by uh, social media. So right now we are extremely connected in many ways uh, to lots and lots of people, but not deeply connected, perhaps to anyone. In our relationships, frequently a, a mile wide and perhaps only an inch, inch deep. This is a problem. It, it doesn't fit with what the Bible would describe as a healthy life, what the Bible would describe as, as uh, biblical Christianity. It doesn't fit with uh, what the Bible describes the life of the church ought to be. The Bible speaks into this. Now, when you preach from Proverbs, or at least my experience has been trying to do it, um, it's, it's difficult to preach from one verse exclusively. Proverbs tends to introduce teaching on a number of themes, and friendship is one of those themes. So we're going to take our departure and come back to this text, but we'll be in some other places in Proverbs. So 
and kind of have your Bible open and be ready to uh, to move in a few directions that will be uh, helpful uh, to us. So uh, with that said, I'll read our text. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Will you pray with me? Father, we, uh, we need to feel our need of friendship, so help us. We need to see clearly you as friend, Jesus as the friend of sinners, as our friend. So, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, would you, would you help us with this? Would you take the truth of your word and sink it into our hearts and, and shape and transform us by it through the Spirit? For the glory of Christ, we pray. Well, as you look at Solomon's uh, counsel to his son in this book, and specifically, as you look to that council about friendship, uh, before Solomon holds up the beauty and glory of a good and healthy friendship, he warns about a friendship that is not good. So we start there today with, uh, with harmful friendship. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, and I'll just read to you a little bit as Solomon warns, among the very first things that he says uh, verse 10 of chapter 1, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason, like shale. Let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your feet from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambition, uh, an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away, takes away the life of its possessors. So Solomon's really concerned with who his son would connect with, and he wants his son to see uh, that this is really important business, who you choose to associate with. If you think about this entire section of the Old Testament, the Old Testament is divided into, into three uh, parts, the, the Torah and the prophets and the writings, and the writings begin with the book of Psalms. If you think about the way that book begins, blessed is the man who does not walk, in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. So even this entire section of the Old Testament begins with that kind of warning. Be careful who you're listening to, who you're relating to, who you're connected with. Um, uh, one verse that I don't think makes very many people's um, scripture memorization list, but I think it ought to be uh, on the list, is... Uh, Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 3. But Amnon had a friend 
and his name was Jonadab, the son of Shibia, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Now, maybe as part of your Lord's Day observance this afternoon, you might just uh, take some time to read Second Samuel 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and see the bitter fruit that flows out of Amnon's friendship with this crafty man, Jonadab. It's, uh, it's, it's bitter. It's, it's, it's horrible. And that could happen to you. So you have to be careful. And we should be concerned about this not only personally, but we should be concerned about it uh, parentally. And doesn't look like there are a whole lot of grandparents in the room, but grandparentally, if, uh, if you're so blessed, uh, perhaps one day you, you will be. In any gathering of the saints, it's been my experience that uh, some of the greatest sorrows are uh, the broken-hearted parents of children who are wayward, who have rejected the faith that mom and dad love and pointed them to. Their hearts are broken. And when you hear the story of how that began, often you will hear them say, uh, they fell in with the wrong crowd. They, they just started connecting with, with friends who, who didn't know the Lord, didn't love him, were full of the world, and, and they left. So we should be concerned about this. And, this. and the warning that Solomon gives to his son ought to be a warning that we give to our sons and daughters. Now, we have to be careful about it. We, we have to be careful about it because if we have no friendship with anyone that doesn't know Jesus, then how are we going to advance the gospel? So don't hear me saying this too far, but we do have to be careful. A friendship that will be influencing us in a harmful way. We have to be wary of and even distance ourselves in. Uh, so uh, a few years ago, before our last sons departed, we would have family worship, and in family worship, we would uh, we would typically sing a hymn, and um, we had a, a time where we could get four-part harmony with those uh, those two sons. I would sing bass, and Ben would sing tenor, and Lisa would sing alto, and Jeremiah would take the lead, and we could pull it off. There was, there was only one problem. Uh, I'm not a very good musician, and I have this tendency to go a little bit flat when I sing. And, and when, you're, when you're singing in harmony, uh, the bass really is responsible to, to, to keep things on, on pitch. And um, there's, this, there's this verse over in Second uh, Corinthians where the Apostle Paul warns and, and says, what harmony does darkness have with light? And when I hear that, I always think about this tendency. So we would start, we'd be singing a cappella on a hymn, a particular pitch. And uh, by the time we finished the four verses, we'd be down at least a half a step, and it was all on, on me. Now, now what, what happens when you're singing that way, uh, those who, who can keep the pitch right, they're, they're on the horns of a dilemma. They either, they either have to stay true to the pitch and I'm going flat, and it's going to sound horrible. There's going to be dissonance there. Or they have to come slumming with me and descend with me to my 
level so that the harmony sounds good. Do, do you have a sense of what this means relationally? If you're in a close relationship that influences and shapes you, and you stay true, there's going to be dissonance in the relationship. There'll be pressure on you to descend with them, to come to their level rather than to, to raise them to, to yours. Be careful of this. There is a friendship that is harmful, that it can be enormously de destructive. Um, so before he commends the beauty and glory of a good friendship, he warns about a harmful one. And, and then secondly, we should think together about halted friendship, a, a friendship that was there and looked wholesome and healthy and, and well and, and good, but it, at some point it, it stopped. And, and if you jump a couple of chapters to, to chapter 19, you will, you will see this, and Solomon warns about it. So look at verse 4 of chapter 19. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And then verse 6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Verse 7, all a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? Halted friendship. In the States, we would call it a fair weather friend. So, someone who's your friend, as long as everything's sunny and beautiful and good and easy, perhaps even as, as long as you're able to contribute to their life in some way by the friendship. But the moment you have trouble, you have difficulty, uh, your money goes away or, or your opportunity to serve them goes away, then they, then they leave you. A halting friendship. And if you've ever experienced this, been on the receiving end of this kind of so-called friendship, it's rather heartbreaking, isn't it? Uh, the relationship is significant and wonderful and enjoyable until you need it most, and then it's not there. And this reality that's all too common in the world really ought to call us to a faithful friendship, shouldn't it? That, that we want to be the kind of men and women who, who would never allow our friends to experience something like that. When they need me most, I distance myself from them. I'm too busy. I, I can't take the trouble. I want take pains to serve them, a halted friendship. Well, perhaps we should leave behind uh, the bad ones and talk about the good ones. So let's think about faithful friendship or for helpful friendship. Let's call it that, first of all, helpful friendship. Uh, a helpful friendship would, first of all, be faithful. That's what we find in our text. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Uh, that friendship especially needed when there's trouble, when there's difficulty, when there's hurt and pain and sorrow and loss. A friend that sticks with you. A friend that sticks with you even when you're in error, even when you're in sin, that uh, really kicks into gear 
in the midst of your need, when when you're at your greatest, your time of greatest need, that friend shows shows up, a faithful friend. In some ways, you don't really know if you have a faithful friend or not until it gets hard. And when it gets hard, that's when you find out who is a true friend and who is not. A friend loves at all times, not just the good times, the easy times. The whole purpose of a brother is that he's born for your adversity. The whole purpose of a sister is that she's there when you need her. Faithful friendship. Are you this? Are you being this for those around you? In your evangelism, are you seeking to be a faithful friend? The, the world we live in is so absolutely so broken, isn't it? And and those that don't know Christ, when when the brokenness of the world, those realities show up in their life, they experience great sorrow and confusion and and heartache, and and they have no handles on how to deal with it. If if you came to Christ as an adult, perhaps you remember what that felt like. Would you not have compassion for them and be faithful in their time of adversity? And perhaps it's that very time of adversity for them that gives the the, the richest, the, the greatest evangelistic opportunity in your walk with them. That you can draw near and they're hurt and sorrow and pain and you can minister to them just out of the friendship that you love them, that you won't distance yourself from them in that hurt. And then you can also point them beyond yourself to that greater friend, that perfect friend. A helpful friendship is faithful. A helpful friendship is also balanced. It's it's balanced. Um, uh, one of the well, there there's an art to friendship, and it takes some wisdom and some practice to know how to do it well. Do you recall the experience of Job with his friends? Job had all these catastrophes happening to him, and his friends showed up, and they sat with him seven days, and they wept with him. Very biblical thing to do, Romans 12, weep with the weeping, and they, they did that. They joined him in his sorrow and, and, and his pain. And, and then, as suffering people often do, Job opened his mouth and started talking about his trouble. And, and the friends just couldn't resist. They just couldn't not pounce on his, what they thought was bad theology, wrong thinking. They had to fix it rather than just sit there with him and listen. In friendship, there's a, there's a time to speak and there's a time to not speak. And it, and it takes some wisdom and some practice to know it's time to say something it's time to not utter a word. I'm here. And I'm going to be here for a while. I'm not going anywhere. But I don't have to theologize to you. I don't have to explain this right now. Before, maybe I want to apply Romans 8.28 uh, to your heart. I'll just weep with the weeping first. Uh, but then uh, on the other side of the coin, there's, there's another way, isn't there? There's 
There's a time when to be silent is absolutely to be unfaithful. Perhaps you see your friend drifting into sin or a dangerous attitude or a harmful practice. And you know to be silent in that, in that moment, in that, in that time, is to be less than a faithful friend. And, and though you're afraid that if I speak to this, I might lose the friendship, they might react to me, they might accuse me, I don't know how this is going to go. I have to love my friend more than I fear my friend. You simply must love her enough to speak the word of correction. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You don't want to be an enemy. You want to be a faithful friend. And faithful friends sometimes have to wound. They hurt, but they never harm. It's balanced in another way I, I want to suggest to you. Lisa is my best friend, and I'm incredibly thankful to get to live life with, with her. She is my best friend. But she is not my only friend. And if you're married, you need a balance between the friendship of your marriage and some same-sex friendships external to the marriage. My wife is, even though we've been married 42 years, she is still largely incomprehensible to me as a, as a man. It's a, she's a beautiful, wonderful study, and I'm still learning. I've learned a lot, but I've got a lot more to learn. She could testify to the fact. She is incomprehensible. I expect, brothers, if you're married, uh, your wife is a bit incomprehensible to you, too. They're just ways as a man you don't understand a woman the way you, you wish you could. And I'm pretty sure that I'm largely incomprehensible to her. She needs some girl friends, some women friends who understand her better than I can. And I need some friends who are men. I just, I just do, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm fearful that the tendency with modern marriage is, is to put too much freight, too much weight on the marriage, and, and it's even more than God designed for it to carry. It's a wonderful gift, it's a glorious gift, but it's not to carry the entire freight of your relationship need in, entirely. Both men and women need friendships beyond that, and those friends need your friendship. So it should be balanced in that way as well. And then, and then a helpful friendship will be centered. It'll be centered on Jesus. Now, now if the friendship is with an unbeliever and you're trying to do evangelism with, with them and, and you're loving them and trying to point them to Christ, then there's a sense in which it won't be, but you need to be pressing it to be centered on Christ. And the way you love them for the sake of Christ, you love them with the strength of Christ in, in you, and you point them to Christ and what he's done for them. So in the way you're thinking about it, you should be centering even that friendship on Jesus. Uh, but the friendships 
with other believers, with brothers and sisters in Christ, those friendships should be centered on the gospel and fueled by it and modeled on it. Because Jesus is Proverbs seventeen seventeen, isn't he? I mean, hasn't he been that for you? Isn't he the friend that has loved you at all times? Didn't he love you on the very worst day of your life? But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friend that loves at all times. Isn't he the brother who was born for your adversity? The only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The one who brings many sons to glory. He's our older brother, born for our adversity. And these friendships simply must be centered on Jesus. And and, and the way that I find the strength and the inclination to, to love you in your time of difficulty to love you at all times, even on your worst day, the, 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 the way that I'm able to do that is, that is yet not I, but through Christ in, in me, if you all sing that song here. That's, that's the way we do it. We don't have that on our own. We don't have the capacity to be born for others' adversity, except as Jesus lives his life in us and through us. And so a helpful friendship will be centered and then fourthly and finally, let's talk about embraced friendship. How is it that we em embrace it? And first of all, I would say, uh, see your need of the friend who sticks closer than a brother. See your need of the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do you see it? Do you know it? Do you realize? that you don't need just a friend horizontally because you're lonely, but you need a friend vertically, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Brothers stick close, or at least they should, but this brother sticks even closer. He loves you at all times. He's born for your adversity. In fact, not only is he born for your adversity, but he responds to your adversity by, by bearing it, doesn't he? I, I was just sitting in one of your classes, Christianity Explained, and I heard gloriously explained from Mark chapter 15 what Jesus has done for us. He says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? He's not just just, he is quoting Psalm 22, 1, but not just that. It's full of content. What's going on there? He's, he's bearing the curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree so that, so that we might receive the blessing of God. When he prayed in the garden, it was, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. But what was in the cup that Jesus was dreading? If you study that in the Old Testament, you'll find that the cup was full of the wrath of God. Why was God full of wrath? Because of my sin and yours. And Jesus was dreading in the garden, not just nails in his hands and in his feet and, and a sword piercing his side or even the mockery and the spit and the laughter and all of that. He, he was dreading the broken fellowship that had always been perfect from eternity past all the way to that moment. 
never absolutely unbroken, but being broken because he's bearing my sin and my shame. And the very wrath of God for our sin poured on him in his body on the tree. He's born for our adversity, and he lives that out by bearing our adversity. Has anybody ever loved you like this? Could anyone ever love you like that? Do you see, do you, do you feel your need of him? Maybe you think that you don't need him. Maybe you think that your sin doesn't run that deep, that it doesn't merit the wrath of God. My friend, if, if that's what you're thinking right now, you're in such grave danger. There's an old hymn that has the phrase in it, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need. As you walk through the Gospels, you see Jesus responding in, in largely two different ways. Uh, to those who are confident of their own righteousness, who don't feel their need of him, Jesus is severe. To Pharisees and Sadducees and people like that, rich young rulers who do not feel their need, he is severe with them. He's, he's hard on them. It's, love, it's, a, it's a loving hardness because they need to change this attitude. But for those who are aware of their sin, it's all about mercy and grace. Just is. You, you see it really come very clear in this little story in Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus is walking along. He sees a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he tells him, follow me. And Matthew leaves everything and, and just gets up and follows Jesus. And then immediately Jesus is in a house as a dinner guest. And Matthew doesn't connect the dots, but another gospel writer does, that he's in Matthew's house as a guest of, of Matthew. And, and, the, and the scripture says that many tax collectors and sinners came and were recline, reclining at table with Jesus and his disciples. But when the Pharisees saw it, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, the he being Jesus, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Can you see yourself that way? When, when Jesus heals the leper, can you see that you have a leprous heart? Can you see the condition of your heart as a sinner? Can you see the words of your mouth and the deeds of your hands and the attitudes of your heart is all in rebellion against a good and holy God? Can you feel your need for a friend to bear your adversity by dying for you on the cross? And if you can feel it, then repent and trust him. Start believing in him. Stop clinging to your own righteousness and trust Christ. Trust Him and Him alone. But also, can you see your need of friendship? Not just your need of friendship with Jesus, but your need of friendship with brothers or sisters. Can you see that that's a need? 
Or are you wrongly imagining that friendship with Jesus is sufficient in and of itself, and you need nothing beyond that, that your walk with Jesus will be just fine without any other strengthening friendships beyond that? It's just me and Jesus. He's enough. I don't need anything more. That sounds really spiritual and really godly, but I, but I think it's wrong. Uh, the Lord designed it that we would be put in families, and this family is the church where we'd have brothers and sisters, and we could be strengthened by them and encouraged and exhorted and corrected by them. And that's why membership in the church matters so much, that, that you're uh, accountable, and you have pastors who love you are, and, and are in authority over your life, and all these things are friendships that will strengthen you and encourage you and help you in your walk with with the Lord. You need Jesus, yes, but Jesus has loved you so much that he designed it that you would have even more than that. Or maybe another way to say it is he would give expression presently uh, to his friendship with you by bringing brothers and sisters around you who would encourage you and strengthen you and be there in your adversity. Don't be so arrogant that you cut yourself off from this, that you don't open yourself up to, that you're not willing to be transparent about your own adversity and your own need, and you're not willing to bother, be bothered by someone else's adversity and their need, but extend yourself in. Then embrace friendship would look like a faithful friendship that would model the friendship of Jesus. The friendship would see this amazing opportunity when my friend is in trouble, when my friend is in hurting, who's hurting, I, I run to him, I, I go to him. I, that's, that's, the, that's the very best opportunity to say something it was by my life about who Jesus is. When he's in trouble, when she's hurting, we, we run to them because that's what Jesus did for us. And so the best opportunity is not when the friendship is easy. The best opportunity to say something about the glory of Christ and the goodness of Christ is, is when there's trouble, when there's difficulty. Will you be this friend that loves at all times? Will you be a brother or a sister born for your friend's adversity? Later on in chapter 27, verse 17, it says that uh, iron sharpens iron. A man sharpens a man as iron sharpens iron. It, it gives you this amazing imagery of what godly friendship means. How do you sharpen a knife? You, you do it with a whetstone, and you take the knife against the whetstone, and there's, there's contact and pressure, and it keeps going on and on and on and on until the knife is sharpened. There's contact and pressure and there's perseverance in it. And that's what you need. And that's what you need to be. And that's what Jesus has been for you and will be for you. 